good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this live edition of the Women in Sport podcast. Um, it's a very sunny evening. It's not exactly the heat wave it's been recently, but it's still a sunny one. So we do appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight for this. We're really excited to have you all here with us for this evening, and it's going to be a really insightful discussion, which we've had a lot of during our live podcast. We're really excited to be able to continue that. Before I welcome our panel, I'm just going to mention some really quick housekeeping. You'll probably notice we have some people with us this evening who are going to be providing some BSL interpretations. So thank you to Paul and Karen as well, who'll be joining us, who'll be doing that this evening. If you would like to drop any questions for our panel, please put them in the YouTube Q&A. If you can't see that, if you're watching on Eventbrite, then you just need to click the link to watch it via YouTube. There should be a URL there. If not, we've also posted that on our Twitter page if you want to find it. And also if you want to join the conversation on social media as well, you can do that by uh, tagging us in any tweets or any posts at Women in Sport uh, underscore UK. So without further ado, let's get cracking then. So I'm very excited to welcome our panel this evening. Firstly, Tim Hollingsworth, Chief Executive of Sport England and also formerly the Chief Executive of the British Paralympic Association. Tim, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Frank. It's great to be here. Thank you. I'm looking forward to the discussion. And we also have Joanna Coates, Chief Executive of UK Athletics and also former CEO of England Netball. Thank you so much, for Joe, jo for joining us as well at this late notice as well. It's a pleasure. And finally as well, Jade Jones-Hall, who is our athlete rep as well on this uh, two-time Paralympian wheelchair racer. Jade, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And we will be joined later on by Alice Deering, marathon swimmer and uh, Tokyo 2020 athlete. She is just finishing up her allotted quarantine swimming session, uh, which unfortunately is at this exact time, but she'll be joining us straight from the pool to join the conversation shortly. So yeah, we will be hearing from Alice as well. So uh, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us. Um, I guess to kick things off, to sort of set the scene a little bit, Women in Sport did some research in 2018 about the media coverage of women's sport. And we found that at times there are as little as 4% of media coverage. We, we know now that looking at newspapers, looking at radio, TV coverage, things have got better, but it's still not consistent. We've seen records broken for major events, World Cups, things like that but we're still not seeing major breakthroughs when it comes to consistent levels of visibility for women's sport. And we know from our work, from others, that visible role models inspire participation. And that's why it's so critical and important. So firstly, I want to kick things off with you, Joe, because I want to take you back to 2018, a huge historic moment for netball. And one where I think many people watching this will remember it well, where England won the gold medal um, in the Commonwealth Games netball tournament. And I wanted to ask you what it was like before that in terms of visibility, media coverage, commercial interest, and what it was like after that moment and how things changed. Yeah, I think anybody that's worked in women's sport for, for quite a few years, um, and I'm certainly, certainly one of them, I think we all had plans before great moments like that happened in any of our sports. So we'd, we'd all planned for those great moments. And I think that's really important that when people look back, they don't just think things like ha that happened and then we all have to suddenly 
react. We'd all worked really hard before that time to try and get the exposure up of women's sport. And certainly by 2018, you know, we, that level of interest was there. But certainly when you have a moment like that, which is live on, um, live on television, broadcast around the world, obviously more so in Commonwealth countries, the sport literally changes overnight because you go from fighting to be in the newspapers to suddenly being on the front pages of a lot of newspapers. So before that moment, we'd worked really hard and we'd got the sport to a point that we were pleased with. Post that moment, it suddenly exploded. But I think as well, we had planned for that moment. We'd planned for what if we win gold? We'd planned for what if we win silver? We'd planned for what if we bomb out completely? So we had a plan in place, which meant that we could really kick on from that point. And I think you've seen that the sport has done that. So we'd made sure that there was a great event structure in place. We'd made sure that we had those connections with the media. And so I think the sport from that point really did kick on. Obviously there can be more that can be done, but those big moments, they really do catapult you to, a, to, a, to another and quite extraordinary place actually. Yeah, Tim, I mean, that, you must have experienced similar when, when you were CEO of the British Paralympic Association because you, you, you have to harness those big moments you know, of Commonwealth Games is also every four years and you really have to ride the wave. So were there any particular waves, uh, any particular ways that you tried to do that in your role and thought, right, this is critical for us to make the most of this opportunity? Absolutely. I think there's parallels, actually, in the experience of, of, of women's sport and, you know, netball being the best example as a women only sport uh, and, uh, and Paralympic sport and the way that people perceive it, which is the, the general day to day visibility is not there. And therefore, you have to really make sure you seize the moments. And obviously, the Paralympic Games is the great every four year moment for that. But prior to London, it was it was largely something that was considered uh, as not something that actually uh, people were hugely aware of. I mean, some of the stats that, that we had going into the years before 2012 demonstrated that. Um, so one of the most important lessons of London was, was visibility in its true sense, which is just awareness, just understanding, just, just appreciation, well before you get to participation or what drives it. It's just that actual understanding and ability. And I think particularly, it'd be interesting to hear Jade's perspective as a as an athlete, but we were very conscious that one of the one of the jobs that we had to do was to get people to understand the existence of some of the sports and the and the and the basis of, of the competition. You know, so actually the impairments that were involved, what they actually uh, demonstrated about what was possible. That was the great narrative around the Paralympic Games for us. It was the it was about the sport and the competition, but it was also about what it told us about what's possible and about ourselves. And if people realise that, then suddenly the visibility becomes a lot more uh, um, uh, meaningful because actually people then are starting to think about it in a different way. So I know definitely London 2012's Paralympic Games uh, was all about visibility when it came to the competition. But it was about creating that platform then. We, we banned the word legacy from London um, because there was nothing to, there was no legacy to be had because there wasn't really a starting point for that. Legacy. We talked about the momentum out of London that we needed to capture, that it should be the starting gun for Paralympic sports, visibility and profile and, and engagement in, in, in society, rather more than seeing as being the pinnacle. Um, which legacy tends to suggest you've made it and that's the platform or the plateau that you're trying to, to sustain. 
Um, but I think what's really interesting, what I've thought about a great deal, both in that role and particularly now, is the link that you can make from that to participation. And I'm looking forward to having that conversation because I know that I know what you mean when you said the fact that you know visible role models inspire participation. But I don't think it's quite that straightforward. And I think we need to we need to unpack that a little bit to understand what does in fact inspire participation, because it's a lot more than just uh, just the role model on the screen or in the stadium that actually uh, makes it happen. Definitely, definitely. I mean, Jade, what was it like from your point of view, being an athlete, experiencing all the things that Tim's mentioned going through that? Did did you enjoy the experience or was it a very daunting one? I think I had both sides of the coin, if I'm honest. So I was 16 at London Paralympics. So I went into the games not really sure if I would qualify. Um, I was right on the edge and it was literally one competition that secured it for me, my place on the team. And so I had a fairly short run into the games of, you know, knowing that, you know, I have my place. Um, So prior to that, I think when I'd competed, I think the most people I'd been in front of was maybe 200. And most of those are friends and family. Um, So it's people that you see around all the time. Um, The people that come to watch every single race, you know, teammates, mums and dads, that sort of thing. Um, So going into London was a whole different experience to that. Um, You know, not only do you have you know, seeing it on TV, seeing the adverts and that sort of thing, seeing Paralympians on TV in the run-up to the Games was absolutely incredible for me. Um, I'd never seen that before. Um, But then actually trying to prepare for 80,000 people being in a stadium, it was almost impossible because we'd never experienced that. Um, I I remember sitting down with my coach and he'd been to see Jess Ennis at the Olympics and he'd... (laughs) My coach is a bit of a mad scientist for anybody that knows him. Um, and so he basically like recorded the noise of the stadium when Jess Ennis finished her final event in the heptathlon. And he said to me, you know, listen to this, because that's what it's going to be like in that stadium. And I just remember being 16, you know, thinking I knew everything, going, no, it's not going to happen. The Paralympics, like, I think they quite a realist most of the time. Um, and so I was just like, people don't come to the Paralympics and you know judging historically that was the case um and so I kind of pushed it off and I was just like this is just not going to happen but I remember pushing out into that stadium for my first event and being absolutely terrified because it's so overwhelming like there's 80,000 people screaming your name because I was the only British athlete in that event and I just didn't know how to deal with that and so I think, again, being 16 probably didn't help that. I kind of was just completely overwhelmed, surrounded by all these athletes who had been to multiple Paralympics and, you know, people who I'd looked up to, like in my kind of first few years in the sport and watched them on TV a little bit, but had no appreciation of, you know, the level of interest that might have been there for the Games. And it took a little while for me to kind of changed my mindset around that and stopped seeing that as a pressure um, and actually see that as, you know, people who are there to support you and just want to see you do well. And I think, you know, London did an incredible job of exposing our country to the Paralympics and showing people what it's truly about. Um, 
but I think Tim mentioned it was a starting point and that's kind of something we need to continue to build on it didn't cure the difference between Olympians and Paralympians and it was never going to but what it did show is what Paralympic sport can truly be like if we put the right amount of time and effort and you know um just basically having the right people around to showcase the sport for what it is and it really did open my eyes to what Paralympic sport could be like actually opened my eyes to what Olympic sport is already like and there is no reason why they shouldn't be you know the same so yeah I think like I say I had both sides of the coin but coming away from it I have the most amazing memories from it you know thinking about how great that was for Paralympic sport and what happened afterwards? So once you know those eight thousand people had mm-hmm. left, had seen the games, did it return back to two hundred, or did did you see some engagement sustained, some visibility sustained? I think in the first few years after the games, there was definitely an increase. Um, I think not just in people wanting to watch Paralympic sport, but also people wanting to participate, which I think was the biggest thing we, you know, we got out of London. We really gained on that as a country. I, you know, I go down to the track now and you see seven and eight year olds in racing chairs, which is just incredible. Like that was something that I didn't see very much of when I was growing up. I was always the youngest and, you know, at 15, 16 years old, that's not, you know, it's not very young really. So I think from that side of things, it definitely increased in, you know, the, the year or two after the games, but I definitely say it, it dropped off a little after that. Um, I think it's very hard to keep that momentum going, you know, in the four years between each games, you, you do start to dip off and then you start the build up for the next game and it starts again. But I think what we really do need to try to do is, you know, stop the, the dip being quite so steep in between each cycle um, because it's almost like you're learning new names again every four years rather than having that you know those stories of people everybody knows the names of Jess Ennis and Mo Farah and you 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 know what they're about and you know their achievements and what they've done and you follow them through their whole career and so I think what we really need is you know, the, the stories of the, the, you know, the athletes that, that are going through the games, you know, you shouldn't be learning the new names every time. It should just be that continuation. Definitely. I'm actually going to get Alice into the room. She's just going to join us now straight from um, her training session. But yeah, Jade, I think that's really the, the main focus. Alice, thank you so much for, for jumping in straight from your training session. We really appreciate it. Um, uh, we've only been we've only been going for about ten minutes, so don't worry, you, you haven't um, missed too much yet. But Jade was just reflecting on her experiences of being involved in the games and that buzz that surrounds it, and then trying to continue that momentum once 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 the games are over. How do we how do we ensure that? And Tim, you mentioned participation. Jade, you mentioned that as well. That after the Paralympics in 2012, there was a big a lift in that. Joe, we know from Netball's Gold, huge lift in participation after that from from women especially. So, Tim, what was the focus with your Sport England and your um, Paralympics hat on? What happened for you in a participation sense after that 
after those games and how did you kind of set the foundations to say well, we can cope with this now and we're going to ensure that the visibility does lead to a, a grassroots lift yeah i mean it's one of the great questions that's always asked is you know did did london 2012 lead to a, an increase in participation in sport and um i think it's the wrong question if you ask it only about that actually if you actually say what was the in, what was the impact of london 2012 on sport in this country, it was quite profound in my view, in lots of, in lots of ways. The way that we identify now its potential to impact on people's lives, the way that actually, particularly in, my, in the context that I saw it then, as I say again, the people's awareness of the Paralympics was a huge step forward to then to build on where we are now, which is you know, nine years on, an understanding of the sport and its potential and its possibility. I went to a school this morning, actually quite conveniently, where I saw two of the more genuine benefits of, uh, of, of having a game. So there's one, uh, Jazz Carlin, who swam brilliantly in Rio for Team GB and won two uh, silver medals, I think it was, Alice, uh, um, the, um, uh, there. You know, Jazz was, was with us this morning. It was a moment of inspiration for some kids in a primary school in East London, you know, with a stone's throw from the, from the park where 2012 happened. And it, and it actually wasn't about trying to get those kids to swim. It was about getting those kids to understand the potential in themselves and actually the fun and the health and the well-being that could flow from, uh, from you know, uh, some activity in their lives. And Jazz was brilliant at that. But there was this assumption that Jazz winning two silver medals in Rio or Jess Ennis winning her medal in, in, in London would automatically lead to kids wanting to go and do that. And I think that's quite a misplaced uh, idea actually and we should be much more about just getting kids to think about being active playing a sport realizing the benefits of their lives and hearing from people who can tell that like jazz did the other thing was the kids were playing sport as part of their sort of uh routines while i was there because it was sort of pre-tokyo event and there was goalball and there was boccia as two of the sports which are paralympic sports and they weren't disabled kids that were playing it it was just an inclusive session and that's because since london those sports have become embedded and ingrained as being an opportunity for people to play so i think where we should where we should frame the debate about participation i'm going to come on to my exception is where um, actually it's much more about people thinking about the benefit to themselves of being active rather than thinking it will be a direct linear line from somebody doing well in in uh, you know, in um, athletics to people wanting to go out and do sprint hurdles, for example. I don't think it's as simple as that. The one place I would, I would um, say uh, that you can have exceptions is to spare Joe's blushes and talk about where a sport actually organises for that greater visibility and awareness then, then being accommodated. And netball did that brilliantly, actually more around the World Cup the following year than perhaps uh, uh, the, the Commonwealth Games win, although that was a massive catalyst. So when you are, it's not only about the, the desire that, um, you know, that visibility can bring in someone to have a go at a sport, it's then what's the possibility of that in their lives? Where's the opportunity? And actually, you know, how can we sustain that momentum by making it a fun and enjoyable experience? And we've got better at that now, but that's still where the gap is. And I think that's where many sports have still got to catch up the likes of netball in understanding that it's not just enough to exist and then have the games happen and then expect people to go and play it. You've actually got to make it inclusive. You've got to make it fun. You've got to make people want to return and you've got to make it right for them in their lives. And I think netball did that brilliantly with things like back to netball and some of the other programs 
that they that they ran. So it wasn't only about young people, however important that was. It was about everyone. So I think we need to we need to think about the question you asked really carefully, which is, does it inspire participation? Yes, but if you don't think it's just a linear leap from someone watching someone in a pool thinking, I now want to swim for the rest of my life. Because when we think it's that, we're almost doomed to failure. Yeah, no, I, I, th I definitely agree. Joe. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything in terms of your experience with what Tim mentioned about that sudden spark and lift in participation for netball, which has always obviously been a huge participation sport for women, but has maybe had these sort of dips and, and plateaus. So how, how do you sustain that when you're still trying to provide courts and gyms and access, which, you know, if they don't have that, they can't participate in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to sound incredibly boring, but it's about, it's about actually having a proper plan. So we, we knew that that moment where we engaged with a country, and you're right, Tim, I think we took learnings from 2018 and in 2019 when we hosted a World Cup. We took some learnings from that. So even before the World Cup started, we'd already geared up our clubs, we geared up loads of leisure facilities. So on that, on literally on that Monday morning, we had a day where everybody opened up their facilities. We had all our coaches engaged. So at that, I always kind of call it the Amazon effect. On that one moment where somebody thinks, that looks fun, I'd like to have a go at that. It's one click away from having a go, because otherwise you've lost them. They love that moment and two days later it's 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 gone. So it's kind of that one click thing, exactly as Tim said, the benefits from an Olympics or Paralympics are massive. It's not just about participation and I just wanted to come back on Jade's point as well, that there's that moment after a, after a big event where suddenly you're superstars and then 90% of the people are then forgotten. Jade, you can, you can hold me to this in two or three years time, but, but that's when a sport just holds on to, I need to deliver medals at a certain time rather than building a plan for the sustainability of a sport. And what we've just done in athletics and we'll be launching on July the 13th is a plan for 12 years. And that means that we don't just wait for this moment every four years where people are thrust into the limelight. You build a plan that says during that time, there are other times where you engage. Let's do loads of things around social media, around our athletes and build up those role models so they become household names. So when people see them, they go, oh, I knew about that person. And it's building that holistic plan for a sport that you have to do. Then you link it in with your participation agenda. And I think sometimes that's where you know, some sports don't even have the capability to do that because unless you have a strong competition structure in between Olympic and Paralympic Games that keeps that um, that that really that, that visitor to your sport engaged, it's very difficult to build that. Very difficult because you are just waiting on these one or two moments. Athletics has an amazing opportunity to do it now. An amazing opportunity. Um, and Jade, you can. In a few years, shout at me if I don't do it. <laughs> no, I, I I completely agree. I think that that has to be the way moving forward. Otherwise, you just go through a cycle, don't you, of those four years where you just highs and lows. I mean, Alice, it's definitely been a whirlwind few days for you, probably a few weeks as well, um, sealing your qualification to Tokyo on the weekend. So fresh from that. Yeah, a little clap for that. From, fresh from that and literally fresh from the swimming pool as well. Um, so what's it? I mean, I asked Jane a, a similar question about what it was like as an athlete in London and, and in Rio sort of 
that that spotlight that's shone on you. But you've had quite a lot of attention even in the build up to the games where you, you haven't even got there yet. So what's that been like for you um, experiencing that? Yeah, it's been like like highs and lows. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, it's at first I was like, oh, my God, this this is amazing. Like, I can't believe this is happening. I never really expected to um, have any limelight on me in any way because uh, like I'm not the best British swimmer in Britain. I, I haven't had a senior international medal to my name yet. So um, to have like this kind of um, spotlight put on me um, for not being like the highest achieving sports person or sportswoman is quite, um, it's very rare, I think. And, um, but I also think it's, it's quite important that I kind of stress the point that I'm not the best. And like Tim was saying earlier, I think we need to like take some steps back from assuming that everybody who watches the Olympics, every child that watches the Olympics will pick up a sport and want to go and be the best in that sport. Because, um, I mean, I was, I remember watching 2008 where Becky Aldington won her two golds in the four and eight. And I was sat there, I was a swimmer at the time. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. That's amazing. But I probably won't ever do that. I probably won't even make the Olympics, but it's still really cool to watch. And um, I was happy with that. You know, I, I didn't really harbor a dream to go to qualify for the Olympics, even though I have done. So um, I think it's kind of important to realize that not every child wants or will be an Olympian or an Olympic medalist. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I, I've kind of, on my journey, I've realized that someone learning to swim 25 meters is as important as somebody winning a gold medal because they are all in their own personal achievements. And for some people, swimming 25 meters will be the equivalent of their Olympic gold medal. And I don't think that should be looked down upon in any way or like laughed at because um, because they're not an elite sports person. So um yeah, sorry, I really went off tangent there, but how I've dealt with the spotlight. Um, it's been it's been fun and exciting. There's been pressure um, here and there, but I've just kind of like gone with the flow and allowed myself to just enjoy every moment because um, like it's always something I've kind of been interested in moving into, like um, like kind of public speaking and like stuff like this. But um, I've always wondered like how I'd get on and I'm, I'm kind of happy I've like um, risen to the challenge and um, like really grown into it so yeah I'm really excited to go to the games and hopefully achieve more <laughs> yeah well we're all very excited to see how you get on as well I mean we've talked a lot about participation so maybe leaning more on the the visibility media coverage commercial side of things um Joe looking ahead to a very busy summer obviously for UK athletics how do you see the the women in the team who are some of the biggest names really in Team GB? How do you see them playing a part in really raising the profile? And, and are there any plans that you've worked with them on, on really kind of harnessing that moment and visibility to say, right, let's kind of uplift these women's stars? Yeah, I think um, athletics is it's 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 very different from a from a team sport where you tend to be trying to promote a team and most of the people within a team. So, I mean, with athletics, you're absolutely right. Some of our top stars are are women. In fact, quite a lot from the from the Olympic and Paralympic. Our true medal hopes are are a lot of women. I have to say. <laughs> Um, and within there, you've got kind of different scales of current fame, if you like. So I think, you know, Dina, she 
she's a superstar already. Dina has, you know, she, she can get coverage. She gets cut through across all different types of media because she, she is at that superstar level already. So where we can help her really, we can do some stuff for her, but she gets that cut through. For me, it's, it's those that aren't at that superstar level where we need to help them post the Olympics. And again, we've started to do that already by launching different stories about certain athletes through our social channels. So we've already started to look at that. What we don't want it to be is a sudden reaction when we come out of the back of the Olympics and the Paralympics. It shouldn't be that. We, we, should, we should know what stories we want to cover now and start building up the profile of those athletes and covering those stories now. My, my hope is, and it's quite interesting to hear what Alice said about her now being kind of like this, this star, is how can we also help athletes through their own channels so that they maintain their own stardom, if you like, rather than it always being the governing body? Because you do tend to find that people engage with the stars. They don't really engage with, with us as much. So they want to know more about what these women are doing outside of their sporting lives. And they want to know more about them as people. And they are the best people to tell those stories. So I think we're going to do a lot more when we, we're doing this Tokyo reset. We're going to do a lot more with the induction of, of our athletes who come onto our world-class performance programs, both from Olympic and Paralympic, about how they can use their own status to help themselves. Um, I think that's really, really powerful. Um, so yeah, I suppose those those are some of the things that that we're going to be doing. It it is it is quite interesting athletics because as I say, once you get to that certain level, you will have an agent, you will have PR people around you, and then we as the governing body probably have less input. So it's it's the level of athlete at which we really need to help and support. Yeah, and it's that the visibility of events as well because these these sports don't just pop up every four years and exist you know there are other events happening all all year round but i we as consumers may not really hear that much about them so how can they be elevated to ensure that people are hearing about i mean most people know dean asher smith 365 days of the year but hearing about some of the other women athletes within the the uk athletics and british athletics group not just uh, on their TVs in the summer, but all the time. How, how do we kind of ensure that? Yeah, I mean, we, we need to work a bit harder with the way that we promote things like the, the Diamond League and the World Indoor Tours, etc. because the, the content is, is out there. Um, it's quite a topical debate, actually, because it's, uh, it's in some of the press today that our, our Olympic trials will not be on the BBC for the first time. Um, it's mainly because we're out of contract with the BBC, but we, we've actually taken the option of us owning the content for this and actually putting it out across YouTube because we think that audience of 2 billion users, we hope to engage with a much younger audience and we can put out all 22 hours of content rather than have currently broadcasters tend to just showcase the superstars and don't show the rest of the events. So we, we've made the decision for our Olympic trials um, to actually put this out across our own channels and through YouTube. We want a younger audience, but also we want to tell the stories of all the athletes and not just those that certain broadcasters want to see. We think that's really important. That's what the athletes have said to us. Showcase all of us and showcase all of the events because that is important for the sport. 
So, um, yeah, probably keeping the story going through through Diamond League and World Indoor Tours. And we're also going to start to look at some event specific stuff so that, again, we can create things that include our, our para athletes. Really important that, again, a lot of broadcasters don't want that joint offering. And we do. So we, we're creating some Olympic sorry, some able-bodied and para events, but they're event specific. So shorter format, couple of hours of jumps, couple of hours of throws, couple of hours of sprints, couple of hours of endurance. So again, you're telling more stories. And I think it's ways like that. And it's gonna take time, don't get me wrong. This is gonna take a few years as it did in netball, you know, it took four or five years to change the position of that sport. But those are some of the things that we're, we're going to be looking at. I can't give too much away because we don't launch our plans until July the 13th. Well, we're all, we'll all be waiting on July yeah. 13th to find out what's going to happen. Um, Tim, I guess more with your um, multi-sector hat on, um, I want to ask you about the, the more legacy in, in media coverage, um, really, because what we've heard a lot about um, around BBC Sports Personality of the Year oh. is always a massive lack of nominations of women and women winning the, the prize overall. So from kind of looking from both sides of your experience, why do you think these, these summer games and the huge profile that they, they create aren't there for, you know, a, a major national award like that isn't necessarily kind of having that impact. And even on the biggest stage, they, they can't push through that final kind of barrier of national recognition in a way. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that this is a, a question that ultimately we need to be getting broadcasters to answer, you know, because they're the ones who determine their content. But I think it's a really uh, interesting, it links to the point that Joe just made around how they're choosing to use their content, is that there's quite a traditional mindset about what sport is on the mainstream channels. And therefore that manifests itself also in what Sports Personality of the Year is all about, because it's it's driven in part by that by that coverage. I mean, it's, 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 I can remember the one, I think it was the year Mark Cavendish won it. And I think it was probably around 2013. I can't quite remember or 14, but there was an all male shortlist for the sports personality of the year. And it was, it was remarkable how unquestioned that was at that point when there'd been so many fantastic performances. So for, from my point of view, it's, it's the need to do two things. It's one to think differently about the, the nature of the presentation of the sport. I mean, we have the same question about, about you know, parasport and actually the representation of disabled athletes and, and, and Paralympians, you know, games time around sports personality of the year. And um, I genuinely think that something like that shouldn't be given too much attention, but it's about the how the historic traditional way of covering sport influences that sort of decision making about who the people should be that are, that are selected versus new and innovative ways of covering sport that then create new and innovative audiences and new and innovative ways of doing things. Um, so I, I don't know the simple answer to your question about how we get more women, how we get more uh, para athletes, uh, you know, a, let's just use a, a greater diversity to the choice for sports personality of the year. None of which is to decry the achievements of the non-disabled males that are playing sport and getting, getting, getting the recognition. But I think it's about, the, it goes back to the point about visibility, uh, you know, in media terms and generally in people's mindset about what high performance sport in this case is and, and should be. Um, Jaden and Alice um, wanted to ask you, someone's asked a question about non-traditional sports and obviously lot, 
you know, a lot of the Olympic and Paralympic events are non-traditional, especially in the UK, where we obviously have a certain few sports that absolutely dominate media coverage. So from your experience as athletes, what do you think the sector and all the various stakeholders, whether it's the broadcast themselves, radio, sponsors, brands, what do you, what would you like to see them do differently in order to support athletes who are within those non-traditional sports? Jade, I don't know if you want to jump in first. Yeah, I think I think I will always come from a disability sport perspective just because that's my world and that's what I'm exposed to. But I think one of the biggest things for me, whenever I watch the coverage or the little coverage that we have of Paralympic sport on our TV, is that there isn't often disabled presenters or disabled pundits, people who know the sport, who can look at it and break down technically things that are happening within that event at that time. And so I think that is something that is very easy to fix, but would make such a huge difference to not just the way that athletes are portrayed and, you know, the, but the, the insight that the viewers will get to the sport. If you have someone sat interviewing and presenting who really know the sport inside and out, you can teach those people who are watching about Paralympic sports so much more. So Tim mentioned earlier about, you know, the difficulties that Paralympics or Paralympic sport faces with, you know, different impairments and different classifications, which is obviously very complicated for those that are not involved in the sport directly. But if you have those people on the screen explaining it who are involved in it, it makes it a lot easier to understand. And so I think that's such a, a very easy and very big way that you know, Paralympic sport could be impacted. Um, again, it all comes down to the visibility. It is always visibility. Um, we all know the phrase, if you can see it, then you can be it. Like it, it's huge at the minute, but it's so true, you know? And I think it impacted me massively when I was younger. You know, I didn't, didn't start Paralympic sport until I was 12 and actually didn't do any sport up until that point because I didn't see disabled people doing sport and so I think having those role models right there or on your tv in in the media getting the big sponsorship deals that makes a huge difference so I I met Tanny Gray Thompson when I was 12 and that was the first time I'd ever really been exposed to Paralympic sport I'd never seen it on my tv which is just crazy you know that was in 2008 and I hadn't seen much of Paralympic sport and you know I think about that now and it, it blows my mind and I think what we really need to do is you know I was saying earlier stop the dip between you know the games we need to be showcasing the world championships the European championships the all events in between the games to keep the flow going to keep people interested you know we we spoke about how after a games you get this uptick and people are so interested but people are so busy in life and that interest disappears very quickly. If, you know, there aren't constant reminders of this is going on, you know, these people are competing all year around. And I think there's often a narrative around games time, which is that, oh, this, you know, this person's come out of nowhere. But actually, if you look back at it, people have never come out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, people have been doing sport for years before they get to that point. And so I think it's just really promoting those stories will just make a massive difference. Yeah, it's really interesting what you said about role models, actually, because 
we commissioned some work with Sports Direct about gender inequality. And, and one of the things that we found out with the with the boys and girls that we we surveyed is that 40, 45% of girls said there were too few role models for them, just compared to 20% of boys. So that just showcases exactly what you said. I mean, I know as well that, that Tani's gone on to be a mentor and kind of a, a coach for you as well in many ways. So that that interaction has kind of gone well beyond just inspiring a bit of parts participation and now is kind of like such a big part of your life but Alice as someone who hasn't gone into the games yet um, but certainly has the experience of participating in a, a non-traditional sport what in your opinion do you think could could really do to boost swimming and your sport your event in particular and also the women athletes within it? Um, yeah basically what Jade said I think we just need um, visibility we do need to be seen more and um, it's absolutely right like I have one major international meet a year so obviously this year is Olympics next year it's world championships it's not meant to be but world championships Commonwealth Games Europeans Worlds. you know we, we have all of these competitions every year but it's always the Olympics everything mounts up to and I really think it's because you get all of the Olympic sports together. I know that sounds like really obvious, but it's like the one time every four years that people will just stick on um, shooting. They'll stick on archery. They'll stick on all these like obscure niche sports um, because it's, it's on, it's visible, it's easy to watch, it's fun. But then the moment the games finishes, they all, they all end up on like, uh, I'm trying to think of the right words, but like, backdoor um, options online or the, the, the 500th channel down your list on, on the TV guide. And then we're, we're sat here wondering why, like, oh, like, where, yeah, like, where did they come from? Like, all of a sudden, they've came out of nowhere. But no, they were world champion in 2015, world champion 2017, and they're now Olympic champion come 2020. So no one in their support, their sport is surprised, but like as viewers, you are, and then you, you hook on that story and then it's gone. So um, it's just uh, like, uh, I've got very ideal views and then it's quite naive, but I don't know if we could get more sports together joint like that. Like I think in 2018, we did the European games in Glasgow. I don't know if I'm calling it the right thing, but I'm pretty sure they got swimming and athletics there together. And I felt like there was a good hype around that. There was a good, there was good vibes, definitely in Britain anyway, and especially because it was a home competition. But um, I don't know if there's any way of um, federations, not federations, um, international governing bodies to join with sports, other sports more. So we keep the president on the Olympics because obviously that is the peak and the pinnacle of, of Olympic sports because they're Olympic sports. But if we can get other sports together, kind of working as a team more, I think that would just heighten the whole course so much more instead of having it dip for three years and then literally over four months, two months before, two months after the games, everything like happens for athletes and then, it's no wonder there's so there's such a thing as the Olympic blues because you come out of it and everything, or I, I don't know, but I, I've definitely heard about it. So I'm definitely preparing myself for this, but you come out of it and everything dips. And um, I, it sounds, it's quite a sad thing for an athlete because obviously you've just done the, one of the most amazing things of your life. And then you just kind of come back, crash that crash back down to normality. And um, I just think it's such a shame something like that exists, whereas we could just keep riding the high and keep Olympic sports like relevant 
apart from like keep it relevant four years round, not just for a month. Yeah, Joe, we've definitely seen a bit of that sort of tag teaming that that Alice has mentioned in women's sport with governing bodies teaming up. So is that something England Netball did? And and how did it, you know, did it have a massive benefit by by teaming up with any others? Yeah, we did. We um, there there was that moment in time where there was three years and there were three consecutive women's World Cups. So there was... um, cricket, hockey and, and netball. And yeah, we worked together and actually it was really successful. I'm not going to lie. It really was. It brought a huge amount of investment into all three sports and the way that we cross-promoted worked so incredibly well from a ticket sales perspective, but also just the content meant that you were taking three stories every time you push something out rather than one. So it was really successful. And, and Alice, there are discussions going on about sports joining forces to try and again make that content richer if, if there's an accumulation of, of content. I mean, I, I do think one of the things, and I, I don't want to be negative about this, but it comes back to my point that, that some of the smaller sports that, that don't have regular competition that sit outside of the Olympics and Paralympics, it's very, very difficult for them to keep telling the story because ultimately you know broadcasters come back to numbers they come back to how many people watch it and lots of people will tune in and watch the olympic and paralympics because they're cheering on a country when it suddenly then becomes just that sport competition the return on investment for broadcasters isn't isn't enough and that's why we need to find different ways of showcasing sport using different channels um, you know, moving onto YouTube because you will engage with a younger audience, and it just means that if TV don't think you're relevant, you, you go and find a, more, a relevant audience somewhere else. And there are lots of talks going on um, with combining sports to achieve some of that. And I do think that would have help in in the women's space. I really think that would help. Joe, someone has actually specifically asked in the chat about where they can watch the events, the, the trials this weekend. So I presume it's probably across the British Athletics social media channels is probably the best place to go or? It's, uh, it's at British Athletics. So it's on our channel, but it's also on the YouTube channel as well. So if you go into YouTube and just put in um, British Athletics Olympic trials, you'll be able to see all 22 hours of competition. So that's everyone's weekends everyone sorted weekend. get some snacks in yeah. um Tim, tell that, all your friends yeah tell all your friends <laughs> yeah um we'll probably start to wrap things up so if anyone has any more questions as well please drop them in the chat we've had a couple of things come through but tim i wanted to, to follow up on that with you as well about that cross-sector approach having worked on the elite side of mm. things and also on the grassroots side of things so any insight as well on how that's been successful from your experience and ensuring participation as well after our games Uh, I think that, well, Joe gave the example of those three sports definitely uh, uh, successfully. Um, I actually think it's the model that we need to pursue rather more than being able to come up with lots of examples. I also think it's a way that we should be thinking about the the feeding of this for the future, which is the talent identification and development system that we have. I think we miss the opportunity to go and find, you know, athletes who might have that potential in our communities because we do it in silence, we do it in individual sports, and we and we might find somebody 
whose instinct for that particular sport isn't there, but have the capacity or the capability actually to be more talented elsewhere. So although you're asking me primarily about participation and we haven't really still focused on, you know, I kept coming up with what's the P, what's the P that works when you talk about role models. And I think Jade got closer to it, which is the possibility. It actually inspires the possibility. It doesn't inspire the participation. There's so many other factors that come into play there. The, the sort of theoretical model that we use, but it's very effective, is the one, and it's the, it's the one that drove the This Girl Can campaign, which hopefully everyone's very familiar with. It, it's not only about motivation, it's also about competence, it's also about opportunity. And you need all three of those things to have some uh, factor in people's lives uh, to, be, to make them actually want to continue to participate. But I think the multi-sport approach for me is, is genuinely something that we should be doing more of in every, in every uh, context. I think Birmingham next year provides an interesting model for doing that. We're going to think about the sporting legacy from Birmingham. Actually, what can we do to bring those sports brought together? Those that are in the games, those that are looking to present themselves in a way that they have a great opportunity to do uh, in the next 12 months. And actually, when we think then about where the athletes of tomorrow might come from, we're really going to go into communities where you know, there isn't the, there isn't the historical uh, uh, relationship with that sport. It might actually be a way of introducing it if there are a, a, a collection of sports for people to come and try, or there's a collection of ways in which those sports are testing people's competence and and and, and testing their you know their abilities. So I think the model, whether it's in, in engaging media and, and broadcast and commercial, whether it's about actually clustering around events themselves, the way that Alice described, and in case they don't get another opportunity, congratulations, Alice, for qualifying at the weekend. And then thirdly, and most importantly, I think it's about that ability to find people, that sports actually can have strength if they're together. I, I think one of the challenges that we face in participation terms has been the individual nature of sport, that sports have considered you know, that it's their sport. And if it's not about their sport, it's not about anything else. And instead, we should be thinking about the way the nation is active. And actually, it's just encouraging people into roots and multi-sport opportunities to try sport, multi-sport opportunities to see sport, multi-sport opportunities to engage in, uh, in commercial or broadcast opportunities. They're all more powerful, in my view, and we should be doing more of it. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the possibility thing is is so important. I mean, it's something that our latest menopause research really focused on the the I mean, we had the hashtag menopossibilities, but really showing the 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 range of things that people can do. And obviously that that's a massive focus of Sport England. And obviously we're talking about the Olympic Paralympic Games and it is quite a specific niche thing for a lot of people. And like Alice, you said, you know, you never really expected to get this point. You were just happy kind of participating at a certain level. Um, someone's asked in the question about um, balancing competing versus the media and show, uh, sorry, but we, how do we balance competing versus media showcasing athletes versus protecting athletes' mental health? Um, maybe let's start with the athlete perspective. Um, Jade, as someone who's been through the games, how did you kind of experience that? And did you feel like you had a good balance, a bad balance? Um, I think it's a, it's a difficult one to get a balance because I think as an athlete, there is an assumption that you want to be a role model for your sport or you want to be in the public eye or, you know, when actually for most people, that's not why they do sport. You know, you do the sport because you love the sport itself. And so being thrown into this arena where there are tons of cameras and 
almost this expectation on you to promote a sport that can be quite daunting the first time you go through that. Um, and so I think there's a lot that we can do to prepare our athletes for that when they're heading into the games, um, you know, making people aware that that is going to happen and, you know, just, just being prepared to represent your sport in the best way that you can, because I know most people involved in sport, all they want to do is shout it from the rooftops and get everybody else involved if they can. And so I think we, you know, you just try and encourage people to do that in the best possible way. But yeah, I mean, I, I did find it difficult that the media attention and that side of stuff to begin with, um, you know, I said earlier that Paralympic sport doesn't get that very often. And so it's a big adjustment when you show up to a Paralympics but it was one that I kind of really wanted to make the most of because I am aware that the Paralympics are so different to any other disability sport event, which, which is a shame, but that is the way it is. And so ultimately, in order to bring our other competitions to a level, we need to be taking those opportunities at the Games, you know, making those relationships with the media and making those relationships with brands in order to prolong the the boost that we get from the games and you know just try and keep that going so I think yeah it was difficult but I I was very aware of trying to kind of promote that and and take that as best as I could and you know just in my stride yeah Joe anything in particular that British Athletics are doing I guess to find that perfect balance in, in that way um, if I'm going to be absolutely honest, um, I don't. I don't think we are working with our athletes enough to to help them when when that happens. Um, and again, this is probably a bit of a learning curve for me because when you have a team sport, you'll know in a team there will be always two or three that you can put in front of a camera and they love it, and that's all they want to do. And actually, they want to go off and be media pundits when they've left and they love it and so the others that don't particularly want to do it they, they don't have to and they can kind of not have to do that bit and I think the thing now coming into an individual sport is pe people exactly as Jade said they look at sports people and they think well they must be really outgoing and really confident because they can go and perform on that stage you know they get as nervous and terrified as anybody else the same as you know before I came on here it's a bit like oh I'm gonna to have to talk in front of people and I'm doing this on a in a small forum you imagine having competed in something and then have a microphone shoved in your face it's really daunting um for some and I think that's the thing when you come to individual sport everybody's going to be asked to do that they can't kind of hide behind their teammates and people expect them just to be incredibly outgoing and bubbly. And some of them just aren't. That's not who they are when they're not on, on the track or in the field. That's that's not who they are. So I think we need to work much harder, actually, in, in helping our athletes when they're put in that position. And I don't think at the moment we do, we do enough. Um, it's one of the things we really want to change through the new induction process is to help our athletes around how they handle the media, around how they work their own social channels, et cetera, so that potentially they don't get into bother a little bit down, further down the road in their career or they utilise their channels. So I don't think we do enough of it, but it's something we absolutely want to do more of. But people shouldn't have an expectation that elite athletes are these gregarious people that suddenly can switch into these media stars. It's ridiculous that people think that. 
Um, I, I just I find it bonkers that people assume if you're brilliant at sport, you're going to be brilliant in front of a camera. People should change their expectation levels. Athletes shouldn't change who they are, in my opinion. No, th thank you so much. I, I, I completely agree. And um, I think we'll wrap things up there. It's been it's been really, really amazing to chat to you all. Thank you so much for, for joining the conversation. I think finishing things on on what Tim said about possibilities is certainly, I think, something we should focus on and, and looking at that whole picture around participation. And um, we're all looking forward to enjoying both the games this summer and also watching the uh, British Athletics Olympic trials this weekend as well. Um, and obviously, good luck, Alice, in, in your event. We'll all be watching as well. And, and thank you so much, everybody, for, for joining us. Thank you.